The views expressed in this program are those of the participants. Some of you have resisted in the past, have withheld knowledge, which was important to number two. Now, thanks to social conversion, I want to tell you all something, and I trust that my example will inspire you all. Number two is unmutual, unmutual. Social conversion for number two, the unmutual. Number 86 has a confession that number two is unmutual. Unmutual. Look at it. An unmutual who desires to deceive you all. Your welfare committee is the tool of those who wish to possess your minds. Unmutual. Unmutual. You still have a choice. Number two you can is still unmutual. salvage your right to be unmutual. individuals, number your rights to truth and free thought. Reject this false world of number two. Reject it now. Welcome, everyone. It is Thursday, November 11th, 2021. I'm Bob Metz, and this is Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Join us for an hour of discussion that's not right-wing, it's Just Right. Fade into color, color into black and white, under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. November 11th is Remembrance Day in Canada, and here we are, living in a completely fascist state pretending to honor the veterans and heroes of the past who apparently won our freedom for us. The irony is chilling. The average Canadian knows little to nothing about individual freedom, doesn't have any today, and couldn't care less as long as his security, quote-unquote, is intact. Don't believe me? Stay tuned and you'll see exactly what I mean, right after our reminder that you can write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org. Hear us on WBCQ and on Channel 292 Shortwave. Follow and like us on your favorite podcast platform and visit us at justrightmedia.org where you can access all of our social media links and our archived broadcasts. As always, your financial support is appreciated and is what makes this show possible. Today's show is a Remembrance Day tribute of sorts, but not about anything like the traditional Remembrance Day stories and memories of war heroes. I think we've covered that perspective perhaps better than anyone on some of our past Remembrance Day broadcasts. And for those interested in hearing perhaps one of the best audio presentations you'll hear anywhere on the Great War, in a strictly historical light, I guarantee you, you will not find anything better than the two-part November 8th and November 15th, 2018 broadcasts of Just Right, numbers 581 and 582. My guest on both of those broadcasts was, of course, none other than Salim Mansour of the University of Western Ontario, and no one was more surprised at how powerful and affecting those episodes turned out to be than was I. You know, I don't usually listen to my own shows. I really don't. But these two were an exception, which I have listened to at least three times. The first of the two was simply titled The Great War, while the second was titled The Age of Nation States. 
Check them out if you really want to know and experience what the Great War was all about. But today our Remembrance Day theme concerns freedom itself. That value we're always being reminded that is what our soldiers fought and died for. And unfortunately, the rising contempt towards freedom that is being exhibited by Canadians today, a phenomenon glaringly exposed by the COVID crisis, a crisis, of course, manufactured by our politicians and bureaucrats. As my exhibits to demonstrate this contempt, I've selected numerous letters to the editor from the print editions of our own local daily newspaper in London, Ontario, the London Free Press, now a subsidiary of Post Media. And these are letters that appeared throughout the month of October just past. But before I do that, I just wanted to cite this in the same paper that I ran across. In an October 29th London Free Press news item, London Mayor Ed Holder, wearing a black mask, is pictured pinning the, quote, first poppy of the London Remembrance Day poppy campaign, end quote, onto his lapel. And the article says, quote, Holder encouraged Londoners to show they care by buying a poppy and making sure members of their family do the same, end quote. But at no time in the article does it specifically identify what Londoners should care about. What is it, raising money for the Royal Canadian Legion? To care about the veterans of World War I or any subsequent war? Or should we be caring about the freedom that they supposedly fought for? It doesn't say. The article written by Jennifer Beeman ends with the paragraph, quote, Meanwhile, Ontario is introducing legislation that would give workers the right to wear a poppy during the week of Remembrance Day, except when it poses a safety risk. The government says it wants to enshrine the right in law to remind employers in Ontario that they own a debt of gratitude to those who serve the country, end quote. So... The same government that mandates private businesses to discriminate against the unvaccinated or unmasked, etc., is now going to enshrine a law, legislation, that prevents employers from telling their employees they can't wear a poppy. This is unbelievable. The fact that it would take the creation of a law to make it possible for Canadians to wear a poppy that is meant to honor those who fought and died for our freedom adds insult to the injury that freedom in this country is already suffering. It's hard to believe that there are actually businesses out there who ban their employees from wearing a poppy to honor Canada's veterans. That's how bad things have become, and it also provides part of the explanation of how and why we've allowed our current political pandemic to take root. It is a symptom of collectivism, not of a health pandemic, and it is taking the form of fascism. Consider our show opener today from The Prisoner, where we hear a crowd shouting, Unmutual! He's unmutual! and condemning the lone individualist among them, a person who thinks for himself. Well, in today's Canadian dystopia, the unmutuals are the unvaccinated, and the collective intolerance for these unmutuals can be seen expressed in this following letter to the editor. And as is our custom, by the way, when citing letters to the editor of other publications, we only refer to the first letter of their last name. And this one falls under, believe it or not, the heading of Group Rights Prevail. Ran on October 30th and it was written by Maria B. of Arva. Quote, 
In his column, There Seems to Be a Sick Thrill in Firing the Unvaccinated, October 23rd, Chris Selly extols the rights of the individual. Since when do rights of the individual override the rights of the group? Civilization did not get this far by individual rights. It took massive cooperation to build societies that worked for the benefit of most of us. Sully complains that there's not enough, if any, sympathy for the people being fired and unable to collect employment insurance. So we must feel bad for the people who will not abide by society's rules, and on top of that we're supposed to pay them for it? The writer suggests anti-vaxxers are sincere in their objections. I agree, so were the folks at Waco, Texas. Sally calls the COVID-19 vaccines miracle juice, even as the West is flying unvaccinated COVID patients, filling their intensive care units east for treatment, which means people needing surgery cannot get it. I, for one, am not willing to pay people who put others' health at risk due to their individual choices. In a collective society, during a pandemic, each person must pull together for the betterment of all. That's how we got this far as a society, end quote. So Maria believes that Canada is a collectivist society. (laughs) She's right, (laughs) for all the wrong reasons. This is a prime example of just how far our society has descended. When people see freedom in such a sick, twisted, and totally backward way, the ignorance of this writer is simply astounding. And it is dangerous. Civilization did not get this far by individual rights, says Maria. Well, I got news for you. Not only did civilization quote-unquote get this far by individual rights, but individual rights are the only rights that are civilized. Hello? As philosopher-novelist Ayn Rand explained, civilization is the progress towards a society of privacy. The savage's whole existence was public, ruled by the laws of his tribe. Civilization is the process of setting man free from men, end quote. And when one person initiates force against another, we call that uncivilized behavior, don't we? Which is what collectivists everywhere advocate. Individual rights include the right to life, the right to liberty, and the right to property. Rights that, when abided by, create the only civilized condition possible to human societies. Freedom. I'd like to see how Maria would possibly define or describe a group right, since there ain't no such animal. A group is only a number of individuals, and each possesses individual rights. Groups don't operate on any principle of rights. Groups operate on the principle of force, and for one group to initiate the use of force against another is completely uncivilized, and it's immoral. Just try to name a single group right. There is no such thing. And when it comes to groups, why aren't those opting to not get an injection considered members of a group? Did you notice that? They're not members of a group, even though there's more than one of them. Because if one group is comprised of the injected and the other group is comprised of the non-injected, you know, why are some kind of magical group rights accrued only to the one group and not to the second group? Because when it comes to groups, it's all about the size of the group and who has a majority, and brute force is always the arbiter in such situation. There are no rights involved in groupism at all. And of course, the letter writer does what all collectivists do, cast insults and bromides against the individualists. And Maria has completely swallowed the Kool-Aid in believing that the majority of COVID patients are unvaccinated. This is simply not true. 
It is the other way round. This is simply an undeniable fact, which is exactly why our politicians are denying it and why people like her are believing it. And then there's the hypocrisy of the collectivists. In a collective society, during a pandemic, each person must pull together for the betterment of all, she says. But she doesn't have any support for those who make different choices than the collective majority. So we must feel bad for the people who will not abide by society's rules and on top of that we're supposed to pay them for it, she says. <laughs> well, the people she's talking about haven't broken any rules. They're victims of the rules. They're losing their jobs because they won't take a jab. That's how the rule is being played. It took massive cooperation to build societies that worked for the benefit of most of us, writes Maria. Yeah, cooperation among individuals. Cooperation implies consent, and consent is an individual attribute. Just shameful. Maria is among thousands, if not millions, who can count themselves among the collective of those who know what just ain't so. And people who don't know history or don't know philosophy also have no way of knowing just what kind of a hellish society their collective ignorance has created in the past and will again in the future if they're allowed to determine the choices of otherwise free individuals. I'll have more examples of these collectivist notions in the editorial pages and my responses to them when we return right after this. This is a message recorded in the year 2026 from the northern fringes of the grid. If you're watching this, please understand what I am about to tell you will be hard to believe. But it is the truth. I will tell you about the time before the great pandemic, before the great reset. And I want you to have an open mind. I lived in that world when I was a young man. And I can tell you it was beautiful. We could travel wherever we wanted. And before I was 30, I had seen tropical islands. I had seen cities. I had visited cities all around the globe. And we didn't wear masks. <laughs> I shook the hands of strangers. It was seen as a sign of a gesture of trust back then. A friendly gesture. I had my own car. I had a sailboat. I had my own house. I owned land. And I was so proud of these things. I never had a tracking device on me, not to this day. And after the lockdowns started and all that, I, I never had a smartphone, no tracking on me, no, no. I moved around 
unnoticed. We watched movies. We read novels that had not been screened for wrong think. It was art, art in its purest form, and it was so beautiful. And we had food like you can never imagine. We ate real meat, and some of us even hunted. We went into the forests, wilderness hunted, and I guess you would call us animals. And we were animals, human animals. The last ones. And we had not yet started to modify the human body. And you would call us primitive, I guess. But this was before the Great Reset. Before Gates, before the quarantines and the re-education camps. It was before the families were broken apart. This was before... The unclean, the unvaccinated. And you probably know us as right-wing extremists or something like that. That was before we were driven out of society and out of everything. Most people gave up their bodily integrity but some of us we remained outside of the grid some were hunted down i am not a liar this is the truth but these are outlawed words now Please, rise up, fight back, freedom awaits the brave. Yeah, they are coming. You are the resistance now. My name is Randy Hillier. I'm an elected representative in the Ontario Legislature here in Canada. Today I have the most gravest, most important message that I am certain I will ever deliver to the people of Canada and to the Western world. Our culture, the hallmark which is of individual freedom and personal responsibility, is at war. For the last 18 months we have been gripped and seized with 
a political crisis. But now, the evidence is clear. It is beyond any reasonable doubt that our society, our families, our future is in the greatest peril that we have ever experienced in the Western world. For 18 months now, we have lived in a narrative of fear, danger, and terror. And it has just escalated and been relentless in its attack on individual freedoms and our families. We must now realize there is no end to this war until we find the strength, the courage, the resolve to stand up and face the facts. Currently, we have segregated our society with vaccine passports. This will get worse. If you are too contagious, too risky to go into a restaurant, bar or gym, too risky or too dangerous to go on a train or plane, let us not delude ourselves that we will also be too dangerous, too risky to go into a supermarket or to receive health care. Currently, we have already deemed it too risky and dangerous to go to our educational facilities. This will get worse until we stand up. In Australia, they have already banned people from receiving health care, deeming them to be too dangerous to others to enter a hospital. We have also seen in Australia the firing of plastic bullets on protesters. We know here in Canada we lagged the Australian aggressive behavior by only a few months. This war must be ended against the individual. This cultural war where the collective is more important than you and I, where the collective is more important than our children and grandchildren, cannot be sustained. And we must remember, this is not a natural disaster that is impacting the Western world. This is a man-made crisis. And we can solve it. Let us be certain that this new normal, as our politicians promote, is a normal where the individual no longer has purpose or meaning in society, where the individual no longer has value to society. Only the collective is important. We can no longer allow our governments to coerce and intimidate parents into subjecting their children to risky, unnecessary medical procedures. These are not warranted. There is no benefit other than control of the individual. We must take action, whatever action, to stop and end this war. Be prepared. We must be victorious in this war. Thank <laughs> you.
That, of course, was the voice of Ontario MPP Randy Hillier. As it was featured on Alex Jones' InfoWars show back on October 28th, and I agree with and share Randy's description of the political problem with which we are confronted. Above all, he's correctly identified collectivism as the evil and individualism as the good. Now, if you haven't heard yet, this past weekend, Hillier announced that he'll be leading a new political party to be called the Ontario First Party. The purple wave is coming to Ontario, he said. PPC Ontario and the purple wave is here and it'll be on the ballot and I'll be leading them in the June election. Well, an Ontario first party, isn't that interesting? What kind of political ideal is that? And how does that reflect any of the noble ideas and ideals that we just heard him enunciate? Ontario first? As a provincial party, what other province or country would his party represent? Provincial politics takes place within the given provincial jurisdiction, or is this his declaration of war against Trudeau and the federal government? You know, Ontario first, like what, before Quebec? Before Alberta? Before British Columbia? I mean, this is a name even less defining than conservative itself, which at least describes something resembling a philosophy or a constituency. Ontario first is a name that fits well with any political ideology. You could be Ontario first for collectivism, Ontario first for dictatorship. But of course, Hillier says we want to fight for freedom, for democracy, for fairness. And apparently he wants to do that by putting Ontario first. It'll be interesting to see if this actually transpires. You know, it's reminiscent of the attempt by federal conservative MP Derek Sloan, who after having been expelled from the Conservative Party of Canada for expressing rational views, announced his intentions to form a new federal party just before the last federal election, causing a lot of people to question why he wouldn't run as a candidate for Maxime Bernier's People's Party of Canada. And for those who are wondering whatever happened to Derek Sloan, according to Wikipedia, quote, in the 2021 Canadian federal election, Sloan ran in the Banff Airdrie riding without party affiliation and finished a distant fifth, end quote. And of course, the infighting among variant conservatives has already begun, as those forming the Blue Party of Ontario want nothing to do with Hillier and his party. You, you know, they all pay lip service to fighting for freedom, but none of them have any political track record, whatever, in this regard. I mean, simply being against the lockdown doesn't mean you are for freedom. You know, conservatives as far as I know, have never voted for freedom in the legislature. But now they have a number of political options. They've got Progressive Conservative, which is Socialist, the Blue Party, as yet undefined, and the Ontario First Party, which still remains to be seen, if it actually will bear that name. But I was pleased to see that Hillier made an announcement this early, since it gives me a better idea where the political cards will be laying in the next election. And of course, as listeners to this show know, I'll be supporting and working with the Freedom Party of Ontario, a party actually bearing the name of the political value and ideal that we've been fighting for since 1984 and which everyone else always talks about. And don't forget, all the people I mentioned are members of the End the Lockdown Caucus, including myself, Freedom Party of Ontario leader Paul McKeever, PPC leader Maxime Bernier, Ontario MPP Randy Hillier, former MP Derek Sloan, and a couple of dozen other elected politicians and officials. <laughs> you can bet we'll be talking more about this in the coming weeks and months ahead. 
that with all of these varying political parties and interests who are sincerely working against tyranny, at least in their minds, if not entirely for freedom, it's important to acknowledge the inertia of the opposition to freedom, something that I've been witness to for my entire political life. Freedom is, and always has been, valued by a minority. The majority always opts for some variant of security, oblivious to the reality that freedom and security come as a package deal, and you can't separate one from the other. You don't get your security by giving up your freedom, and yet that's what most Canadians, and, in fact, other citizens of the Anglosphere, are constantly clamoring for. So, with all the parties to choose from, what kind of voters do they have to appeal to? Well, here at least I found one writer to the London Free Press who might be interested in a freedom party, but who found himself quickly outnumbered by the collectivist opposition. Passport's a mistake, says the heading to the letter to the editor by Sean P. of London. And he writes, quote, When restaurants and movie theaters are closed down again, as the fourth, fifth, and sixth waves of COVID-19 emerge, I hope the passport that is splitting society makes everyone who wants it very happy. I'm for choice. Both of my grandparents fought for choice and freedom in the Second World War, end quote. Well, clearly Sean is in the minority, and therefore he's in the wrong group for those who are into groupism, as the following reactions demonstrate. This by writer Betsy O. of London, under the heading Veterans Heroes, Anti-Vaxxers Selfish, and I quote, it is shameful misrepresentation for Sean P., in his letter to the editor, Passports a Mistake, to suggest Canadians enlisted in the Second World War so their descendants could choose to refuse a life-saving vaccine. Whether motivated by patriotism, adventure, or just a paycheck, our parents and grandparents characteristically felt a duty to something larger than themselves. They left partners and young families, put careers and education dreams on hold, and set off to make a contribution. By contrast, some now claim a right to choose, to refuse vaccination, an act of selfishness. They ignore the potential consequences for society at large, not to mention for those individuals at serious risk, if they're infected by COVID-19, or if the health system on which they depend is overwhelmed by unvaccinated COVID-19 patients. Demagogues may grandstand, but libertarian philosophers recognize limits to this claimed freedom to choose when vaccines are safe and the risk to others' lives is so great, end quote. Well, of course, the vaccines are not safe, and the risk to others' lives from someone failing to take a vaccine is like about zero. And as the evidence mounts, both vaccinated and unvaccinated people are capable of getting, spreading, and shedding whatever viral variant is in question. But alarmingly, it's now clear that the vaccinated are the greatest spreaders and sufferers of the spike proteins or delta variants, whatever is being spread. And by the way, yes, there are limits to freedom of choice. The limit being that person A cannot force a choice on person B. And where in his letter did Sean suggest Canadians enlisted in the Second World War so their descendants could refuse a, a vaccine? Even if he did, it's his life, not hers. Moreover, and I hate to constantly have to repeat the facts and truth about the vaccines, they are not and have never been a lifesaver for anyone. They have been and continue to be life destroyers to literally thousands of people who have been fooled into taking the vaccines as an act of altruism. You know, I guess by this logic that refusing to be raped is an act of selfishness, right? 
Her definition of selfishness is completely backwards. She's the one being selfish, wanting a benefit at the coerced expense of someone else. And this is so glaringly clear and obvious among all those fake altruists out there who preach their altruistic variants for purely selfish reasons. It's, it's constant. Acting in one's own self-interest is rational and morally correct and the proper grounds of all ethics and morality. It does not include preventing others from having the same right to act in their own self-interest. Betsy refers to those who felt a duty to do something larger than themselves. Yes, it was called freedom and the right to choose, something she called an act of selfishness. Betsy acts surprised that some now claim a right to choose as if that wasn't the right they already had all along. Claim a right? From whom? Who among us is in the business of dispensing rights? I want to know that person. Remember, this is the kind of thinking and mentality that our political leaders and politicians are forced to appeal to in order to get elected. More after this. Hello, my name is Karen Selleck. I am a retired lawyer in Canada, and I've noticed a lot of incorrect information being given by people online about various things, including the Bill of Rights and the Charter of Rights. So the first thing that I would like to address is um, a whole lot of people who are saying, oh, don't use the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms, use the Bill of Rights. The Bill of Rights is better for some reason. I don't know why people are saying that, because I'm going to show you the Bill of Rights now. I'm going to put it up on the screen. And um, the first thing I want to mention about it is that it was enacted in 60, so it's, uh, it's old, um, but uh, it was just enacted as an ordinary statute of the federal parliament. So any time that um, parliament chooses to repeal this, they can repeal it with a simple majority vote. Um, if they want to amend it, they can, uh, they can amend it with a simple majority vote. has to go before the House of Commons and the Senate, but it still could be appealed or amended very easily. You don't need the consent of all the other provinces. You don't need any super majorities to appeal, repeal or amend this. So I know that people are planning to use this in um, all kinds of arguments against the tyranny that we are currently living under in Canada. But just keep in mind that in the event that you started to win cases with the Bill of Rights, it could be repealed or amended by only a majority vote in Parliament. So that's the first thing I wanted to mention. The second thing I wanted to mention is people seem to think that the Bill of Rights, which is a federal statute, can override provincial legislation. Now, at the time this was enacted, Canada did not have any written constitution other than the British North America Act, which was an act of the British Parliament. And primarily, constitutional law up until that time consisted of um, what, what powers are federal versus what powers are provincial. That was all there was. So um, it was the Diefenbaker government who brought in this Bill of Rights in an effort to you know, sort of give us something comparable to the U.S. Bill of Rights. But um, he was limited by the existing constitutional law as to what he could do with this. So under existing constitutional law in 1960, the federal government could not enact laws that would override provincial laws. That just, that just wasn't how our Constitution worked at the time. So when you read Section 2 of the Bill of Rights, you will see it says, Every law of Canada shall, 
unless it is expressly declared by an act of the Parliament of Canada that it shall operate notwithstanding the Canadian Bill of Rights, be so construed and, apply, and applied as not to abrogate, blah, blah, blah. Okay, so every law of Canada means every law that is a federal law. That is a law of Canada. A law passed by a province is not a law of Canada. It is a law of Ontario or a law of Alberta, as the case may be. So that's the main reason why the Bill of Rights is not in the least bit superior to the Charter of Rights. The Charter of Rights and Freedoms is a constitutional document that applies to all the laws. It, implies to, it applies to federal laws and provincial laws, unlike the Bill of Rights, which only applies to federal laws. So, you know, how many more ways can I put it? The Bill of Rights cannot override provincial law. Um, it is um, misleading and um, ultimately will lead to uh, unwanted results if you people think that you can go out and say, rely on the Bill of Rights to override some tyrannical law of Ontario. That doesn't work. We can't talk about fake news and, and propaganda and how, how this uh, is able to be done without pointing to this brilliant expose um, from three years ago which exposes the Sinclair Broadcasting Group and how they have a, a top-down approach with the knowledge of the true agenda at the top and less and less as you go down. And you're going to see, if you've already seen this, uh, this expose that was put together a few years ago, you know what, it's a good idea to watch it again today to just really let it sink in how these things can be done, especially now that we're living in this COVID-1984 nightmare. This is going to show you exactly how they are able to manipulate the masses by using the, the, the propaganda arm of the government, which is the media. Get a load of this uh, video. That was put together just a little while ago, which exposes exactly how this is done. Check this out, guys. Hi, I'm Fox San Antonio's Jessica Headley. And I'm Ryan Wolf. Our, our greatest, greatest responsibility, responsibility is, is to serve, serve our Treasure Valley communities. The El Paso Las Cruces communities. Eastern Iowa communities. Mid-Michigan communities. We are extremely proud of the quality, balanced journalism that CBS4 News produces. But we, we are concerned, concerned about trouble and trying to be responsible one side of news stories plaguing our country. Plaguing our country. The sharing of biased and false news has become all too common on social media. More alarming, some media outlets publish these same fake stories without checking facts first. The sharing of biased and false, false news has, has become, become all too common, common on, on social, social media. media. More alarming, some media this is extremely dangerous to our democracy. 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 
This is extremely dangerous to our democracy. This is extremely dangerous to our democracy. This is extremely dangerous to our democracy. So that was just a brilliant expose on um, on uh, the Sinclair Broadcasting Group, and it really shows how uh, the, these aren't journalists doing journalistic work. Uh, these are actors quite literally reading from a script. You're listening to Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. More letters from the London Free Press against the writer Sean P. Distorted Ideas, which is written by letter writer Michael Kay in London on October 8th, quote, The absurdity of the anti-vax stance about quote-unquote freedom is laid bare in Sean P.'s letter, Passport's a Mistake. Does he really think his grandfathers fought in the Second World War so that he and others could choose to put their community at risk by not getting vaccinated? If he argued his grandfathers were conscientious objectors, then I might agree with his logic. But his grandfathers bravely opted to do their part and thereby supported their community, even if it meant putting themselves at real risk. It is shameful he and others continue to besmirch the honor of our veterans by using them as a lame excuse for their own fear of getting vaccinated. There is no justification for comparing the risk of getting vaccinated with that faced by veterans of armed conflict. End quote. Well, here again, Michael is making a false assumption that those refusing the vaccines are in fear of them without having a rational reason to fear them. Let me make it quite clear to the selfish altruists like Michael that the reason I am refusing to get an injection is because I know that it does not do anything the injectors are telling us it's supposed to do. It's not about viruses. It's about the Great Reset. What's really inconsistent about Michael's argument is that he would not object to someone being a conscientious objector, concluding his statement with a complete non-sequitur and accusing Sean of somehow being an unconscious objector, if there is even such a thing, I don't know. And when Michael asks, does he really think his grandfathers fought the war so that he and others could choose to put their community at risk by not getting vaccinated? Well, that's literally the twisted logic that was cited by Betsy, a logic that has been explicitly promoted by our fascist dictators in democratic disguises, you know, a threat to our democracy, right? This one from Anna P. of London on October 9th, under the heading, Not the Same Side. <laughs> oh, poor Sean P. In his letter to the editor, Passport's a Mistake. Sean P. equates his grandparents risking their very lives in a real war to his selfish fight for choice and freedom, quote-unquote, by disapproving of vaccine passports. How very brave of him. I would like to point out that his grandfathers bravely fought for freedom in the Second World War so Adolf Hitler wouldn't win and dominate the world. They understood that the fight for the common good was more important than their individual lives. I can't believe what I'm reading here. To equate fighting a vaccine passport to the selfless fight for freedom during the Second World War is deplorable, and his grandparents are probably turning in their graves at their grandchild's thoughtless comparison. He obviously does not understand that having proof of vaccine passports to be able to participate in enjoyable activities may be the only way to get recalcitrant people to put the common health above conspiracy theories and their selfish wishes to avoid possible minor vaccine side effects and finally vaccinate. Vaccines are vital to beat this lethal disease, end quote. Wow, Anna, give your head a shake. And yet this is another example of someone who doesn't see the contradiction and irony in everything she's saying. 
She refers to his grandfathers bravely having fought for freedom in the Second World War, so Adolf Hitler wouldn't win and dominate the world? Does she know or even question why Hitler was such a great threat to the world? Because he was a fascist, exactly like the people pushing the vaccines. And under Hitler, thousands died in death camps where they forced all kinds of experimental injections into people, the very so-called experiment in which Anna and others like her have been duped into participating with because of an absence of informed consent. It was because of Hitler and the crony industrialists that the Nuremberg trials were held, establishing the right of each and every individual to informed consent before being injected with anything. Anna's a complete fascist to the core, and she probably doesn't even know it. And she's irrationally selfish to the core, as are all of the people who display their vices and their evil ideologies through virtue signaling. More after this. One of the most fascinating things about living today is that it's laying bare how people think. More than ever, it's becoming clear that there are roughly two groups. These two groups have always existed, but the current state of the world is making it more and more obvious just how different these two groups are. The first group consists of people who generally believe what they're told, and they want to believe what they're told. They live in a world where the state is the highest form of authority and should be trusted. They believe that elections are a fair reflection of the will of the people. They believe that politicians are generally there to help us and that we should follow them because we need leaders to run society efficiently. They put scientists, academics, and doctors on a pedestal because they are objective and should be trusted without question. This first group has been told their whole lives that if they just follow the rules, everything will be fine. In short, these people want to be led. The second group, by contrast, consists of people who don't necessarily believe what they're told. They understand that human beings are complex and don't always tell the truth, that some people have ulterior motives. To the second group, trust must be earned. They can be very skeptical. They will listen to a sales pitch, but then go do their own research. They like to verify things for themselves. Above all, they value personal freedom, the freedom to speak, the freedom to run their own lives the way they see fit, and the freedom to go about their business unhindered. They believe people should live and let live, that we should all be free to conduct our lives in peace. The first group genuinely believes that the second group is a bunch of conspiracy nuts. They've been told that the second group is obtuse, uneducated, self-centered, and paranoid. The second group, on the other hand, thinks that the first group is a bunch of willfully ignorant sheep who blindly choose to bury their heads in the sand, accept everything they're told, and exhibit a frustrating inability to wake up and face reality. The fascinating thing is that these two groups might as well be living on different planets. Their thinking is utterly alien to the other. Their perception of reality is so different that when they look at the same issue, their interpretations and conclusions are dramatically divergent. When it comes to the issue of vaccines, the normal group and the awake group couldn't be further apart. Awake people know that vaccine passports have been planned for many years and although health is the excuse to implement them, they have nothing to do with health. 
Their purpose is to get people to accept being tied to a digital identity where citizens can be rewarded, punished, manipulated, traced, and tracked, all leading ultimately to a dominant surveillance state. The ability for those you know, people to go there and come back and move around. People to go there and come back and move around. So eventually there will be sort of this digital uh, immunity proof uh, that, you know, will help facilitate the global reopening up. And now what is happening under the guise of COVID-19 is the bankers have decided they no longer want to share power with the electorate or the people's representatives. The central banks have decided essentially to take over. And the ultimate sort of completion of this will be when they introduce digital currencies controlled and operated by the central bank. Why is that important? Because they won't be currencies, Dell. They will be a financial control system. To implement that system, they need the vaccine passports. And the goal of the vaccine passports have nothing to do with health. They have to do with implementing a new digital financial transaction system, which is in essence complete control. To my brothers and sisters out there, there's one thing that all psychologists know. How do you deal with psychopaths? The answer is, you don't. You can't reason with them, you can't bargain with them, and you can't appease them. If you try to deal with them in any way, they will keep using you until you are ruined. This is their nature. The only thing that can work is to stand up to them and to continue speaking the truth. The next number of months is going to be very difficult. Right now, the powers that be are controlling the narrative, but that window is shrinking. That's why they are so desperate to get us all vaxxed in such a hurry. When their lives become more disrupted, some normal people will start to wake up and the narrative will shift. You're going to be very glad that you stuck to your principles and didn't give in to their propaganda and pressure tactics. Stay awake, everyone, and stay strong. Redouble your resolve. Know that you're on the right side of history. We have the co-author of my new book, Justin Haskins. It's called The Great Reset, Joe Biden and the Rise of the 21st Century Fascism. Uh... Justin, this thing is traveling so fast, and it's just a matter of who captures the American and uh, the the global population first. Are they going to put us in chains before we figure out what it is as a as a population? Yeah, well, I I mean that's what we're trying to stop, right? I mean, yeah. I think that. This has been going on for a very long time. We've been playing catch up over the past year and a half or so because the rhetoric changed and signaled to people like us that something very wrong was going on here. When they started calling it the Great Reset, that's when we really started digging deeply into what was happening. And we've found that over the past 10 years or more, they've been advancing the world towards this new economy, this 21st century Fascism. And this new announcement in Glasgow is absolutely massive move toward this great reset world they're trying to build. So explain what it means and why it's so important. We don't have all of the details yet, but what we do know is that this 
there's going to be this partnership between the United States government and the World Economic Forum, and it's called the First Movers Coalition. Okay, and so the, you know, the World Economic Forum is about as spooky as uh, Hydra. I mean, this is a group of the elite of the elites at Davos. They gave birth to the World Economic Forum, or is it the other way around? But this is... This is when you hear about Davos and meeting with George Soros and everything else. That's what this is. And now our country is partnering with them on the Great Reset. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. And the whole purpose of this First Movers Coalition is to create a public-private partnership between major corporations and business and the U.S. government so that they can essentially manipulate the economy without actually having to pass a law in Congress that says you have to do X, Y, or Z. It's essentially, it's collusion between the government, private corporations, and the facilitator of all of this is the World Economic Forum, who, as you mentioned, are the people behind the Great Reset Movement and uh, Davos and all of that other stuff. And the key point person, according to the press release that they've put out and some of the information they've provided to the public in the U.S. government, is going to be John Kerry, who is part of the uh, Biden administration's um, cabinet. And he's the special envoy for climate. And this is so, so important for people to understand. John Kerry has been openly supporting the Great Reset. I mean, attending Great Reset events saying, I support the Great Reset, and he promised back in November 2020, after Joe Biden was declared the winner of that election, that under Joe Biden, the Great Reset will happen, and it will happen with greater speed and greater intensity than most people realize. And now he's the one spearheading this coalition with the World Economic Forum Great Reset people to try to create the public-private partnerships that you and I have been talking about and warning about now. For years. So when the president made this announcement, he was on stage with um, uh, John Kerry right next to him. And right next to John Kerry was Bill Gates. Um, this is this is a elitist. It's a movie. Honestly, you it's a movie. It's these are Bond villains here um, and they are taking control uh, and will take control of industry of farming of you name it and you won't have a choice this is an end run around our constitution and around our congress and senate it's an end run that's that's exactly right and the reason they're doing it this way is because they have failed so spectacularly trying to get laws passed in congress and trying to get things through the supreme court historically They've done they, they've been so bad at trying to make this thing happen at the speed that they want it to happen that way that they figured out this other way of doing it through private corporations and by coercing them, threatening them, twisting their arm, providing them with carrots and threatening them with sticks. They've been able to build this entire Great Reset system on the side. And most people haven't even realized that this is going on. This is the way that society will be transformed. It's through this great reset and these public-private partnerships and big cronyist deals. That's what this is really all about. A complete, not just economic reformation, 
but a social reformation at the same time. At the end of this, if they get their way, by 2030, America is completely gone. Completely gone, as you know it. Everything we just heard during that last bumper break is pretty much exactly what Polly St. George described in her featured comments that we aired last week. Fascism rebranded and that bizarre concept of agile government. Remember that? Too nutty for words. And yet those words came directly from the horse's mouth, the World Economic Forum. Now, believe it or not, I've actually got another 17 letters to the editor that I somehow, in my wildest fantasy, thought I could squeeze into a single one-hour show today. I don't know what was going on in my mind. But I'll save them for an upcoming broadcast because these letters reveal a dark and necessary-to-understand psychology. Today's selection was chosen as my perverse way of commemorating Remembrance Day. And I've only scratched the surface of this phenomenon. What just about all of the letter writers I've cited today have in common is a mutual contempt for individual freedom of choice. That's the quote-unquote group that they belong to. The grand collective of fascists. It is palpable. And frankly, it is disgusting. Remember, fascism is explicitly about the state mandating personal choice and controlling private property to serve political ends. That's exactly what they are all advocating, and they're being grossly selfish about it to boot, in the midst of ignorance that is just unfathomable, that they can be even so ignorant of what's going on around them. One thing's for sure, the Freedom Party of Ontario will never get their vote. And you want to know why? Because, quote, Freedom Party believes that the purpose of government is to protect individual freedom of choice and not to restrict it, end quote. But these anti-choice collectivists have a myriad of political parties to choose from, all operating on the idea that the purpose of government is to restrict individual freedom of choice and not to protect it. Isn't that what we see constantly coming out of our legislatures and parliaments? And that's exactly what I've watched them doing for my entire political life, stretching now to nearly half a century. I cannot cite a single instance where any party in Ontario's legislature ever took a step in the right direction. Not a one. The political monsters are all around us. And any political party that wants to move in the right direction, and that's towards freedom, has to deal with them and defeat them because as long as they constitute a majority, which, by the way, is the only value they espouse, majority rule, and that's a whole other misunderstood concept, but as long as they constitute a majority, then any semblance of individual freedom will forever disappear from our society. As Glenn Beck warned, by 2030, America is completely gone. And we have to disappear right now, too, because our time is completely gone. So be sure to join us again next week when we'll continue our journey in the right direction. And until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. We'll see you then. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. Shame, shame, shame. All three shames. Put all three shames. All three. Three.
Terrific. You really know how to hit them below the heart. For we will all be better human beings by showing this fledgling citizen what America really stands for. Truth, justice, and the American way. Wow, you really know your constitution. Well, actually, that last part came from the beginning of Superman. 